Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word?
Father, that none is beyond your reach, Lord. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, you are moving, Father. Lord, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us. So, Father, may you revive us, awaken us, O Lord. God, may we understand the urgency of the hour. And we know, God, that it's all for you and for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. So, Father, we thank you yet for another opportunity to sit at your feet, to hear your word. And Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would, um, God, stir up within us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness. The Holy Spirit, that you would be our comforter, be our guide, be our teacher. Father, it's not our desire to live a life, I pray it's not, that grieves the Holy Spirit, but, Father, that we will live lives that walk in step with the Holy Spirit, so that we may not gratify the desires of the flesh. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And may, Father, we allow your word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name. Amen. Community. Two definitions I've been holding up. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing a common attitude, interest, and goal. Go to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 is where we're heading this morning. Scriptures, again, that I've been holding up before us this year and hopes to encourage us to grow in community, to understand the life of a believer in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1, 
verse 10. Paul writes here, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Community. The body of Christ. And as I've been encouraging us this year, we understand, at least I hope we do, that there's many different communities out there. And I've said it repeatedly, but it's only the Christian community that has the truth. Amen. Not because man has said, but God has said. Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. Man likes to create religion. Man likes to try to make a way back to the Creator. But there's only one way, and that's God's plan, God's purpose, the cross, redemption, the resurrected Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. Jesus, the resurrected one. He's not still on the cross. He's not still in the grave. He is resurrected. And because of that, mankind, the created, is free through Christ if they believe upon Him and confess that He is the Son of God and rose from the dead. They would receive God Himself via the Holy Spirit within them to live out the newness of life. And may we remember that, the newness of life. Not a form of religion that denies the power to transform you, but a new life. If you're not experiencing a new life, you're not a Christian. You may hold a form, you may go to church, but if it's not dictating your thoughts, your steps, your actions, your words, then how can you claim Christ, the resurrected one. As I've shared over the years, we cannot make a mockery of him. We can't treat his blood as if it's nothing. That's not man's teaching. That's the Bible. From the beginning to the end. God's plan, God's purpose, that he will have a people, a community, of people that belong to Him. He is their God. They are His people. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us. He has called us out of darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. He has adopted us. He has given us the right to call Him Daddy, we are to represent him now. We are not to continue to go our way. And that's why I've shared over the years, if you hear a gospel that's giving you the right to live as you want, you're not hearing the gospel. It is a false gospel. 
And we are told in the last days before Christ returns, there's going to be many false gospels out there. And that's why I keep encouraging us, we can't keep doing church the way we've done it. We have created a false narrative of the gospel. Giving everyone the right to claim Christ and not be in Christ. We are leading people to hell instead of to Christ. Think about your actions this week. How you spoke. How you thought. How you reacted. Did you let your light shine or did you keep it hidden? Are your lamps filled or are they empty? Are you preparing for the bridegroom to return or are you just playing games? You're either worshiping Christ or you're dancing around the golden calf. You have to make a choice. God has done everything He is going to do to reveal Himself. The created, as I keep reminding us, we are the problem. We're the one that's in rebellion. We're the ones stiff-arming God. God is not stiff-arming us. He is calling us together to prepare for His glorious return. Are you preparing? Are you changed? (laughs) Again, your life is not to be perfect, but it is to be maturing. There is an understanding that you are a new creation. The old is not allowed to dictate you any longer. And if it is, something's wrong with your Christianity. Because you're not going to find that in Christ. You are a new creation. You are a whole person. You're not broken. You're not living out of your brokenness, out of your insecurities, making decisions and choices that aren't honoring God. They're just based out of your fear, out of your lack of faith, out of everything that has screamed at you your entire life. But in Christ, you can rise up and you can stand up with the assurance of not who you are or who you've been, but who He is. And you can find encouragement in Christ through the Holy Spirit and in community with believers. It saddens me. It saddens me that the other communities know their identities. No matter what those communities are out there. They know who they are. And guess what? They're not going to change for anyone. The only way they will change is that they have an encounter with the living God. That will transform them. But they understand who they are. And we respect them for that. I've told you over and over, everyone has a right to live however they want. But by God, the church, she belongs to Christ. She doesn't belong to her desires or to herself. She belongs to Christ. And she's to live for Christ, to honor Christ, to serve Christ, to be His hands and His feet, loving other communities, because that's what our God did. 
he went out into these other communities and he called people out from them. Their lives were changed, forever changed. Prostitutes, liars, murderers, thieves, gossipers, backbiters, homosexuals, drug addicts, people filled with anger. He called them out. Their lives were forever changed. And he brought them into a community to do life together. To encourage, to edify, and to build up. To encourage, to edify, and to build up. These other communities out there, they know who they are. They know their identity. They know their common interest. They know everything about them, and they live it out. How have you lived out your identity in Christ this past week? And if you haven't, you have to ask yourself, why? What are you holding on to? What from your If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then you're right. You're not going to live out as one. But if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're not living as a Christian, do you understand that you've been deceived? The spirit of deception is rising among, among the lands throughout the earth. And I keep encouraging us, as the Bible encourages us, understand the signs of the time. The earth is preparing for the Antichrist. The stage is being set. But we are not to fear. We're not to grow weary. We're not to get entangled with the filth out there. No, we know who Christ is. We know our identity. And so we're not part of that plan. No, we are preparing for the great feast, for the great return of our King and Lord and our Savior. You should be sharing your faith, living out your faith, having confidence in your identity as a believer. Not because of your works, not because of how good you are, but because of Christ. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Think about all that He endured. Think about what you're hearing from the beginning, from Genesis, all the way through Revelation, of a God who created, of a God who was rebelled against by his creation of a God who is hated by his creation. They would rather dwell in the darkness than to be in the light. They would rather dwell in despair than be free and live a life, a full life. You've got the, you've got the enemy, you've got the world, and you've got the flesh warring against you. But in Christ, you have the victory. And it doesn't make sense that then we twist his words to make us comfortable in our sin, in our rebellion. Oh, we have to wake up. We have to understand what's being taught out there and what people are believing. What you actually believe, is it the truth? Because if strongholds aren't being broken... If a newness of life isn't coming forth, you don't know truth. You don't know Christ. You are not a follower of Jesus. 
we've got to stop peddling this weird narrative out there. I've encouraged you over and over. You have to care more about people's eternity than their temporalness. Temporalness. Seeking after created. All last week, I watched sunrise after sunrise after sunrise. And I go, I go God, this is beautiful. Who, who else could design something like this? Creation. Everything that we see and touch, it's all created. But it's all temporal. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is fragile. We're nothing but dirt with breath. (laughs) And soon that breath will be taking from us and dirt we shall return to. But God, but God has created us not to remain in these temporal bodies, but for eternity. I've asked you over and over, are you valuing your soul? Do you give thought to it? Because if not, something's wrong. If you're clinging to the temporalness of life, if you're still demanding your rights, if you're still saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but you've got things that you're holding on to, say, well, I'm not giving up that. I'm not giving up this. Like, do you understand? He's a holy God. Just because Jesus came didn't make God less holy. But that's how people live. They use Jesus as an excuse to continue to do however they want to do. As if somehow that's right. But where do you see that in the Bible? God has not changed. What God planned, God has purpose. You better know your God. All hell. The world systems and your flesh are out to destroy you. I can't make this stuff up. Read the word of God. And as you give thought to your soul, you better understand your flesh. It hates God. And it only knows how to do one thing, and that is to die. So when you are demanding your rights, or you're keeping the things over here, I'm a Christian on Sunday when I show up, But I'm going to live however I want the rest of the time. Gossiping, backbiting, making poor decisions that aren't honoring God. Not being discipled, just going about. Praying, doing the religious works. But reality, there's no depth of Christ in you. Oh, we have to wake up. Do you not see what's happening? And so if you're relying on self, Self is leading you astray. Are you relying on Christ? You see, Jesus says, they're going to hate you because they hate me. Have you felt the sting of being a Christian lately? If not, you ain't living like one. 
That's the reality. Because it's getting darker out there, you all. Christians are caving in to the other communities. No matter what those communities are. Well, we got to become like them to win them. Where? Who? Yes, we love them. But we love them enough to tell them the truth. We love them enough to serve them. We love them enough to, to give them the, the right to live however they want. But they're not going to change who we are. They're not changing the word of God. We will be hated. And again, it doesn't make sense. Because if it really was, you know, the natural realm. See, the natural realm would, would embrace Christians, maybe not the Christ, maybe not Jesus, but Christians because, again, they're productive people. They're, they honor their word. They're hard workers. They give. They serve. They don't stir up trouble. They think of others before they think of themselves. It's a way of living, of peace. But yet they're being slaughtered all over the world because of him. Because of him. See, that should open your eyes that this is more, this is greater than just the natural. This is a spiritual war. And if you're not dressing every day for battle, like, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for you. Do you know Jesus? Are your roots growing down deep? Are the choices and the decisions you're making honoring Christ? And you don't have to wallow around in the shame, blame game. Like, that's just keeping your eyes on you. Like, when you look at Christ and you say, God, help me. Teach me. Give me a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness. For right standing with God. Not because of anything I do because I understand fully what you accomplished for me. Like, God, you love me? Like, God, you paid the price that I deserved? Like, you emptied yourself for me? Like, people need to see the love of Christ displayed through our lives. They know they knew who we were. They know what we would do if we were in control. But when they see a transformation, when they begin to see, like, no, I'm not going that way any longer. It's not because I'm better than you. No, no. In fact, I'm the worst of sinners. It's because God loves me. And God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son, Jesus. I've always said to you, people will always question, and you need to have the answers. Stop waiting for the pastor to come along or another Christian or anyone else. You need to grow up, and you need to mature in Christ because the days are getting darker and shorter. 
And somehow everyone thinks they're making it in. In reality, the Bible is very clear. The road is narrow. And if that doesn't wake you up, like we got to stop coddling people. Like, are you a Christian? Well, I don't know. Am I a Christian? Are you a Christian? How do I know if I'm a Christian? Are you following Christ? Did you consider the cost when you came to Christ? Because when you came to Christ, you died to yourself. You're no longer making choices and decisions based on you. You're now honoring Christ. You're now in a community of people who made the same decision. You're now a part of a community that God chose. Remember, the Word of God says, I chose you. <laughs> like God, the Creator, He chose you in the midst of your filth, in the midst of your hatred towards Him, in the midst of your rebellion. He chose you. You see why I never really hated God? Well, then you're deceived. You don't even know him yet. Because how could you say you never hated God? Because the reality is you can't really come to Christ until you know that you were an enemy of Christ. You were born in rebellion to God. So you better get it in your right mind that you hated God, that you were an enemy of God. Because when you say, well, no, I wasn't, then you're making him a liar. Because he tells you, you were. You see, you don't want to be like these people that the Bible describes. They're always learning. Always learning. They could probably quote here and there, or this and that, or whatever. And yet, they have no knowledge. I mean, think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were men of great Learning, they learn, they constantly have the scriptures before them. And yet Christ, the Messiah, the one that they were hoping for and searching for, they didn't even recognize. And Jesus tells them, your father's the devil. Like, do you understand that? Has that reality hit you? Like the Bible says that before Christ, Opened your eyes. Your eyes were blinded by Satan. You were in control, if you would, by darkness. And your flesh feasted off of it. See, where does sin come from, the Bible says? It comes from the desire that is from within. And when you give into it, all it knows to do is die. So go out, run amok amongst the other communities, slapping Jesus on your life. But do you realize you're going to stand before a holy God and that you drug his name through filth and you made his blood so common? (laughs) I'll worship him the way I want to worship him. Do you understand? Do you see him truly for who he is? He's holy, holy, holy. 
And yet he calls us to have no division among us. Be of one mind, united. United in thought, look at that, and purpose. In thought and purpose. We're living for Christ, you all. That's why we gather. That's why we're together. We long to be in his presence. We long to be in community. say, well, I don't. Well, then something's wrong. (laughs) We have sold this weird narrative of Christianity to the world. And people are heading to hell and destruction for eternity. We, We conjure up this belief that everyone is saved. Well, they're not that bad. Well, they said a little prayer back here. And yet, ever since that little prayer, they've led a life of destruction. See, you've got to know the God of the Bible. This, this isn't, this isn't playtime. This isn't come gather and sing Kumbaya together. Like, this is kingdom living. This is kingdom purpose. This is the reality of heaven. On earth. Accomplishing God's plan and God's purpose. This should encourage you to live as under Christ. To know Christ. To love Christ. Your life is no longer your own. See, when I came to Christ, I knew. I knew. God, I am in rebellion towards you. In and of myself, I can't fix myself. But God, you were pleased to reveal yourself to me. And your word says that you begin this work in me. And that you are faithful to complete it. So I don't want to hide anything. And that's why I've always told you true freedom comes from true transparency. First before God and then before man. Because what do we have to hide from each other? We can't just hold a form of religion and deny his power. No, we serve a great God, you all. We serve God, the creator of heaven and earth, the Holy One, the one who is returning to collect his own. Go to 1 John. Scriptures again to encourage community. And if you haven't grown in a desire to be in community, oh God, I'm praying for you. (laughs) Because in the day and age, as it keeps spiraling out of control, you're going to need community if you're a believer. (laughs) 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us 
from some sin. No, it doesn't say some. All sin. All sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. Who is faithful? He is faithful. And just, listen to this, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, listen to this, from all wickedness. Not from some, but from all. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Apart from Christ, we are sinners. That's all we know. That's the old way. In Christ, that's why I love it in 1 John, he says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, remember, Jesus. Jesus. I love it when I counsel people. And they say, well, I'm just a sinner. No, you were just a sinner. Like you hear people call themselves Christians, and that is their first response. Well, I'm just a sinner. Well, you were a sinner. Well, do you, what, I'm not going to sin anymore? No, you will sin, but you won't claim that identity. You ask for forgiveness. You repent. You confess. You throw off that old nature. You don't make excuses for it. Oh, I tried to live that way. Well, God understands my weakness. God understands my sin. It's okay. No, yeah, God understood my sin, so he sent his son to take my punishment. Do you understand what God does regarding sin? Someone has to pay a price. And praise be to God, we don't have to. Jesus did. So what on earth are we going around and living a life that sin is greater than God's forgiveness and cleansing and transformation in our lives? Oh, we got to wake up. But that's what's being peddled out there. And people say, oh, well, then, then you're just believing in Christian perfectionism. No, no one's believing in Christian perfectionism. You're not perfect until you're in with him. But you should be maturing. You see, the reality is Christ, Jesus, defeated sin and death. And he's freed his people to be about the Father's business. And again, that's why he says, consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. But yet, in this world, you will have trouble. But hey, be of good cheer, because I already overcame the world. You see, you keep your eyes on me, Jesus says, because I have endured it all for you. And I'll make a way out of every temptation. I'm a God that can relate to you, because I was tempted in every way, but I did not sin. And I've called you to a life that I'm not expecting you to live in your own power. I'm expecting you to follow me because I've given the Holy Spirit to you to walk habitually in so that you won't gratify the desires of the flesh and that flesh is set out to kill you. 
You see, we should be training up. You should be discipled. We should be telling the upcoming generation how great our God is, but they don't know how great He is and what He's accomplished. Because we got generations before them living however the hell they want. Well, bless the Lord, I still love Jesus. How? And it's very clear here. He goes on. Verse 3. Well, let's look at, never mind, not verse 3. Let me go back to 1, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. So, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. And we can be sure, you understand the confidence that you can have in Christ. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and is not living in truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God, oh Lord, hear this because we've heard it multiple times this year, should live their lives as Jesus did. Can we hear that? Do you understand the weight of that? (laughs) When you look at your life, do you understand the freedom that is found in these verses to live out this Christian life? See, I'm tired of Christianity being run through the, through the mud. I'm tired of these weak-willed Christians. Because the reality is that they're not Christians. Not because Rob says, because the Word of God says. They're liars. That's what the Word of God just said. They're not living in truth. They're not living in the light. They're making a mockery. Oh, we have to wake up. You can't make up what's going on out there in the earth today. We have to wake up. We have to be excited. We're not angry. We're excited. Because we understand that the return of the Lord, the return of the Lord is near. It may take another hundred years. It may take one more hour. We don't know, but what we do know, we know the times. We can see it around us. I love talking and listening to people who are lost out there. I really do. I'm not threatened by them. I love to engage. Because you know what? They are seeing things that the church ought to be seeing. People who are lost out there, they can tell you. Like the world, it's, it's crazy. Like things, they see the platform being set. They don't have the right terms or the right theology. But listen, there's a great awakening about to take place on this earth. And I pray that we are a part of what God is doing. Like we're going to be caught up with them. And so we got to hold fast. 
You know, over the years, as a pastor, uh, and, and as a believer, and as, as pouring into people, and sharing with people, and the knowledge of truth, and, and, and the works of the flesh, and then to see people that, that have been counseled, people that have been poured into, people that, you know, have, have heard truth after truth after truth, and the flesh is just devouring them. I say, God, your word is true. If their eyes aren't open, God, they don't know you. That's what I'm saying. You just can't be a, a one who's just learning and learning and you know hearing and hearing and hearing. That's why James tells us you have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. How do you put this in practice this week? How do you run all your thoughts that are coming at you through this? Because that's what the Bible tells us. Take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of his lordship. Are you living that way? And if you're not, then what are you doing? It's not easy. It is not easy. But it's a discipline that the Holy Spirit wants to work within you. That you begin to filter things that are coming in and out. That you do not allow strongholds to be established in your life, in your mind. What's a stronghold? It's a pattern of thinking that is contrary, that is opposite to truth. That you believe in. But the Bible says he's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. You see, I don't want to be a slave to sin any longer. I lived that way. I feasted off everything that was out there. I want to be a slave to righteousness. God, I just want more of you. Oh, that's too much, Rob. Not everybody wants to live that way. Why not? Because that's what he says. From the beginning, he set the people aside for himself. (laughs) And they rebelled against him. Vile wickedness. Then God goes silent. How many years? 400. 400 years, God was silent. And then a baby cried in a manger. It pierced the darkness. Darkness scrambled. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, is on the earth now. You can't make this up. Do you understand who you say you believe in? You can't make it up. Like, I laughed, I mocked, I hated Jesus, I hated Christians, I hated the church the majority of my life. But when God steps in to your darkness and illuminates all of it, and you go, this is what I've been serving? Oh, God, I'm sorry. God, you're holy. Like, God, I deserve to die in punishment. But God, because of your grace, because of your mercy... My God, you have delivered me. You have saved me. Not because of myself, but because of Christ. That's why I've always told you when you're out there, people will tell you, God loves me. But you can't leave them there. You got to ask them, well, what did he do because of his love? That's what they need to know. He gave his one and only son. 
that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I don't want to make a mockery of Christ, you all. I want to live for Christ. And I want to be among community of people who want to live for Christ. I, I don't want to play religion or church with you. I did that. <laughs> Done that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to seek him. I want to know him more and more. That's my desire. And that's what I pray your desire is as you hear the word of the Lord being spoken and read over and over. Those who will say, I'm sorry, those who say they live in God should live as Jesus did. That's not man's standard. That's God's standard. I want you to think about your last week. And you said, well, I missed the mark. Okay, have you repented? See, is repentance a daily thing in your life? And and, and not just like, oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. No. Do you remember last year we spent 12 months on repentance? It's a sincere regret and remorse. The Bible tells you don't have a worldly repentance. No, no. Have a godly repentance, a sorrow. Like, oh, God. And don't, again, it's not the weird game people play, the shame, the guilt, oh, I'm a bad Christian. Oh, I can never do anything right. I can't be like them. I'm just not going to go back to church. Do you see what the flesh does? It turns it around to look at you. You're disgusting. You will always fail. So get over yourself. No, a genuine repentance is seeing a holy God who has given you all provision through his son Jesus who has then released the Holy Spirit, God himself in you, to give you the power and the desire to follow him. That's what the word of God says. So you better get over yourself. And you get up and you repent like, oh God, I'm sorry. And if you acted ugly in front of people, you better go back and restore that. Even if they don't understand what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Like you have to be about reconciliation, first before God and then before others. It's very humbling as a believer to go back to even unbelievers or even to believers and say, you know what? I'm sorry. What I said last week wasn't true. See, we got to start dealing with that lying tongue. See, when you drag out the darkness and bring it into the light, it can't have a hold of you. You better start living. That's what the Bible tells us to live. This is the community that we're a part of. And when we see that old nature, when we give it ground, we say, no, you're not in control. Oh, that's horrible. That's filth. God, forgive me. And then he's quick to forgive. That's why you don't play games with like, oops, I'm sorry, oops, I'm sorry, oops, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Like, do you understand this, the weight? Like, oh, like, uh, I don't want that. One of my favorite movies is that Spider-Man movie with Venom. And that bell. Do you, you remember that scene? And that, that thing, that it's the Venom, that black thing pulling. And there's this struggle. And I said, my God, that's that. And it reminds me of this picture here. Because the flesh wants to hold on. But there is a struggle. You have to get free through Christ. 
Not through yourself. Not through yourself. But that's how you're called to live. You can't make this up. This is the standard. This, this, is what you're, this is what's been set by God. He goes on and says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one. You have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And I love this. And if you're young in the faith, hear this encouragement today. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. Unless the young in faith didn't hear it for the first time, he repeats himself. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your heart and you have won your battle with the evil one. See, if you're young in your faith, don't look at others. Look to Christ. You've won already. I've got so much to do. I still have this. I, I still desire this. Listen. Some people, they come to Christ. Boom. They're delivered. Free. Never again. To look back. Others come to Christ. And it's going to be a process. It's going to be a process for you to say no every day to your old life. To your old ways. Because it's going to bring glory to God. But the Christian life isn't easy. I don't know why we've made it as if poof you're a Christian, poof you're a Christian, poof you're a Christian, poof you're a Christian. That's not Christianity. Jesus, notice why I love Jesus. I don't want Jesus to be this weak-willed man who's just passing out hugs and muffins. No, no. He was serious about his father's business. He knew the condition of the other communities out there. They were lost. And he went to them. He didn't shun them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't beat them over the head. If, he, if they told him to leave, he left. But he went in. And people say, well, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the drunkards. And he did this and that. Yeah, he did. But he didn't lose who he was. They lost who they were. Because they were in the presence of God. And some came to believe. And some still rejected them. Because they loved darkness more than they love the light. God, I hope we're getting it. Like, do you love darkness more than the light? 
No, I don't want to. Ah, that, that's just religion. That's just man. Man wrote this. Ah, ah. And everyone has this excuse. But I'm telling you. <laughs> like when God reveals himself to you through Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, it humbles you. Oh, I'm an enemy towards you. But God, you love me. God, you paid for my ransom. Like, oh, like it should humble you. But the freedom that you find, you all, there's nothing of your old life. There's nothing of the old ways that can even compare to what he has for you. Nothing. Nothing. You can demand your rights all you want. I still want to live this way. I still want this. I still want to hang out with them. I still want this, this, this. Then you're not a Christian. And it's okay. Don't be a Christian. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. You have every right to go and do and whatever. Have your filth. Have your fill of the filth. But in the end, that's all you got. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's okay. Your unbelief doesn't thwart God's plan. Man has tried it for centuries. You can't make this stuff up. And so I just want to encourage you all. In these days that are ahead, community is vital. Community is a necessity. It's not an option. It's not an option. Oh, okay, I'll go to church. Oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Oh, okay, well, maybe on, maybe on Christmas I'll go. <laughs> maybe on Easter I'll go. What kind of craziness? <laughs> Do you understand? Jesus has called us out. And there is a way in which we are to live. But if you're immature in your faith, that's why I love that portion of scripture. You already won. So stop getting up every day as if you're defeated. You better remind yourself, I've already won. Because of Christ. And did you see that last part? I've written to you who are young in faith because you are strong. Don't consider yourself weak. You're strong because of Christ and what he has accomplished. God's word lives in your hearts. And you have won the battle with the evil one. God has delivered you. So you have to know your identity. I'm telling you, that was so mind-blowing for me. As a new believer. Because everything of my identity was so far from Christ. And yet, he says, you've won the battle. You're strong. The word of God is in your heart. Now live, grow, mature, be done with the temporalness of life. When's the last time you stood over a casket? When's the last time you go gone to a funeral? I had friends lose family members this week. People are dying left and right. That's the reality of, of human nature. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. To allow that to be my identity. Because death is not final for a believer. And even for an unbeliever. <laughs> but as a believer in death, death is conquered. Ah! 
Death, where is your sting? Where is your power? What's there to fear? Jesus is going to swallow me up. And I'm going to live forever in eternity, not because of anything of me, but because of Him. Do you have that confidence? Can you rejoice in that? Or is death lingering out there? (laughs) Do you understand? Either with Him for eternity or separated for eternity. And not because He's a bad God. He's a just God. He's giving you what you want. He's turned you over to what you requested. That's love. He didn't force you to love him. That's what you want? Here, I mean, read it. All through the Bible, you see, he turns them over. He turns them over. He turns them over. And in turning them over, in turning them over, he then, in the midst of all of that, still shows his love. He turns you over, but then in the midst of he goes, but if you come back, like what I have for you, so much better. And yet we still say, no, you're not God. And so in the end, in the end, it's you. It's you. But oh, how I pray your desiring community. First fellowship with God. Fellowship with God's people to accomplish God's purpose. Go to 1 Thessalonians. See, I did a 30 minute, less than 30 minute message last week. I got you for three hours this week. Oh, I'm just kidding, Michelle. Four hours. No, no. We're going to get through it. But I know that was impressed, I only did 30 minutes. She thought the rest of the sermons from here on would be 30 minutes. Lord, mercy. All right, First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll end on time. Verse 7. Nope, verse 14 through 22. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encouraging those who are timid, Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. And then hear this. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Every kind of evil, you all. This is how the community of believers are to be living. This is what others should be seeing in the church. They're not going to be drawn to Christ 
through, by a life that has not been changed by Christ. <laughs> and so we have to be the people of God to be about our Father's business day in and day out, not just when we want to be Christians, but day in and day out, because that's our new identity. We're Christians. We're Christians, and we're not apologizing for that. We're, we're, not, we're not scaling back truth to make people comfortable. No, we're sorry. As it makes you uncomfortable, it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> but I'm not going to peddle something to you that, that I had to come to grips with. Because Jesus says, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. He knows not everyone's coming to him. He knows not everyone is going to accept him. But for those who do, they are called to live for him. The Heidelberg Catechism is a tool that I've been sharing with you over this year and hopes to encourage you to be able to defend your faith. These are questions and answers. These questions may not be asked by to you by others verbatim, but they could come along and they could question you about your faith and you ought to be able to defend the faith. And so this is a tool that I hope that you're utilizing. If you haven't utilized it, oh, how I pray you'll go back and begin to read through these questions and give thought to them and then look at the answers. The answers are all scriptures. The answers are all scripture. And it will encourage you to understand the God in whom you say you believe and how He's called the church to function. This was written years ago for the church to equip her. And so we are still in part two of the Catechism Deliverance. We're still looking at the communion, the Holy Supper of Jesus. It's Lord's Day 30, and we're on question 80. So the question is, how does the Lord's Supper differ from the Roman Catholic Mass? Well, here's your answers, or your answer. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all of our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once and for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have their sins forgiven through the suffering of Christ unless Christ is still offered to them daily by the priests. It teaches that Christ is bodily present under the form of bread and wine, while Christ is therefore to be worshipped. Thus, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and a, condemn, a condemnable idolatry. And then they added, this was written years ago, but then they added to question 80. Question 80 was altogether absent from the first edition of the Catechism, but was present in a shorter form in the second edition. The translation here given is of the expanded text of the third edition. In response to a mandate from Synod 1980, I'm sorry, 1998, the Christian Reformed Church's Interchurch Relations Committee conducted a study of question and answer of 80. 
and the Roman Catholic Mass. Based on this study, Synod in 2004 declared that question 80 can no longer be held in its current form as part of our confession. Synod, Synod 2006 directed that question and answer 80 remain in the CRC's text brackets to indicate that they do not accurately reflect now the official teaching and practice of today's Roman Catholic Church like it was back then and are no longer confessionally binding our members of the CRC. So the Reformed Church in America retains the original full text choosing to recognize that the catechism was written within historical context which may not accurately describe the Roman Catholic Church's current stance. So just let you know about verse 80, just in case you come from Catholicism, and you say, well, that's not what we do now, that's not what we believe now. Well, they, those who are overseeing the Reformed Church of this catechism, they've made us aware of that, so they've included that. So I just want to make you aware of that, to add to that, so you'll know. Question 81, who should come to the Lord's table? The answer, those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and the death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. So who should come? People of genuine faith and a desire to be forgiven. And the scriptures are there. And finally, question 82. Should those be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they profess and how they live that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, they shouldn't be admitted to take the Lord's Supper. That would dishonor God's covenant and bring down God's wrath upon an entire congregation. Therefore, according to the instruction of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives through Christ. I know it's a lot, but, that, but my hope is, is that you're not going to grab all of that in this setting, but that you would take the notes, sit, open up scripture, call me, ask your questions, Connect with someone else who you can trust when it comes to scriptures and begin to understand how to defend the faith of a believer. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 10. We'll finish our day today with walking through scripture. 2 Kings has been an interesting book and I, and I hope that you're growing and I'm hoping that you are really learning because we need to learn of our history. And you say, well, I'm not a Jew, but if you're a child of God, this is your history. Israel was set apart. They are under a covenant with God to be his people. They keep refusing him. They demanded a king and he gave them a king and many kings. <laughs> and a lot of these kings were wicked. Some of these kings were righteous, but yet they still held on to things they should not have held on to. And I go, God, that's no different than us today. You know, God moves in our lives. We begin to take the steps 
to move forward, to, to allow that transformation to take place, but then we hold on to this relationship. We hold on to this vice. We hold on to this thought pattern. We hold on to this, and we refuse to tear it down. And whatever you are refusing to tear down, that's the God that you're serving. That's the reality. You're either fully in or you're fully out. There's no one foot in and one foot out. It's all or nothing. That's the call of a Christian. That's the call of Christ. There is a way in which we are called to live. And so Jehu, the king before, he went on a killing spree, if you remember. In the north, in Israel, he got rid of all of the Baal worship. The idol, remember he killed all the priests. The temple came down, they turned it into a latrine where people just crap all over it. He killed Jezebel. And you say, well, why, do you, why were you excited when you taught us about Jezebel dying? Because God's word is true, you all. And that vile woman needed to be pushed out that window. And you say, well, you shouldn't celebrate death. No, I'm not celebrating her death. I'm celebrating the fact that God said that he, the dogs would eat her. And God's word was true. They ate her. Jehu came. Remember, he approached the window. She's sitting there. She painted herself up. And all he did was look up and says, who's in there that's on my side? And her servants pushed her out the window. And she died. Jehu went in. They were feasting and everything. Jehu said, hey, let's respect her. She was the king's daughter. Go bury her. And the servants go out and they're like, there's nothing left of her. I think like her hands, her feet, her body parts were there. But the majority, the rest of her were gone. The dogs ate her. But that's the word that the word of the Lord God gave the prophet to speak over her life. And you say, well, how can he be a loving God? And I keep telling you all, that displays his love. And you say, how can that display love because of his justice? He is a just God. And those who are wicked will be dealt with. And so we find today's reading, chapter 10. We're not going to read through all the chapters today just because of our time, but it's chapter 10, verse 32 through 12, verse 21. So 32 of 10 through verse 36 talks about Jehu, and he died, and he's gone. <laughs> chapter 11, though, is very interesting. Athelia. When Athelia, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, again, this is the southern region, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of the royal family. And you say, well, why do you want to point that out to us? Listen, the enemy from the beginning has tried to destroy God's plan. Where's the Messiah supposed to come from? Anyone? Someone? The root of Jesse. Yep. The lineage of David. David's family. It was always purpose. It was always promised. The Messiah had to come from the family line of David. And so when you hear Ophelia, what does she do? 
She learned that her son was dead, so she began to destroy the rest of the royal family. She was on a mission to kill all of them. Remember when Jesus was born, the wise men came to King Herod? What did he do? Killed all the boys under two. He was threatened by this Messiah, so he had all the children under two murdered. You see, from the beginning all the way to the end, the enemy is trying to stuff out and to thwart God's plan, but he can never, can never. If this queen who took the throne that she was not rightly hers, but they say that potentially her mother could have been Jezebel. She was a vile, wicked woman. She reigned for seven years. And she thought she had destroyed everything and every one of David's line. So she had the rest of the family. And if she would have, then God's a liar. But we see here in chapter 11, verse 2, but Asahiah, sister of Jezebiah, the daughter of King Jerome, took Asahiah's infant son, Joash, he was the last one of David's lineage, and stole him away from the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athelia. So the child was not murdered. Joash remained hidden in the temple for the Lord of the Lord for six years, while Athelia ruled over the land. In the seventh year of Athelia's reign, Jehoiada, the priest, summoned the commanders, the Karite mercenaries, and the palace guards to come to the temple of the Lord. He made a solemn pact with them and made them swear an oath of loyalty there to the Lord's temple. Then he showed them the king's son. Man, Jehoiada told them, this is what you must do. A third of you who are on duty on the Sabbath are to guard the royal palace itself. Another third of you who are to stand guard at the sure gate. And the final third must stand guard behind the palace guard. These three groups will all guard this palace. The other two units who are off duty on the Sabbath must stand guard for the king at the Lord's temple. Form a bodyguard around the king, and keep your weapons in hand. Kill anyone who tries to break through. Stay with the king wherever he goes. Do you understand what's happening? God's about to renew his covenant yet again. See, God is not finished with his people. Yet though they keep rebelling, yet though they keep turning, yet though they keep looking at these other nations and going, but that's how we want to live. He keeps reminding them of who he is. This priest... God is using to revitalize his covenant with the people of God, to remind them that all this false worship, all this evil, all this debauchery, all of this craziness is not how you're to be living. So he is taking the initiative to put this rightful king on the throne. And this isn't made up story. This isn't some weird little story. This is history, you all. This actually happened. So the commanders did everything as Jehovah, the priest, ordered. 
The commanders took charge of the men reporting for duty that Sabbath, as well as those who were going off duty. They brought them all to Jehodiah, the priest, and he supplied them with the spears and small shields that had once belonged to King David and were stored in the temple of the Lord. The palace guards stationed themselves around the king with their weapons ready. They formed a line from the south side of the temple around to the north side and all around the altar. Then Jehodiah brought out Joash. I can only imagine the scene. The, the king's son placed a crown on his head and presented him with a copy, listen to this, of God's law. See what just happened? Of God's law. They anointed him and proclaimed him king. And everyone clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king. Well, when Athelia heard all the noise made by the palace guards and the people, she hurried to the Lord's temple to see what was happening. When she arrived, she saw the newly crowned king standing in place of authority by the pillar. Now, beyond the natural events, could you just imagine what's happening in the spirit realm? This realm in which you cannot see, but yet we're told about. This woman's being controlled. She is being utilized by the enemy. She's given over to her flesh and to the world system. She has ruled for seven years. This king was only seven years old. This is a boy sitting on the throne. She was wicked. And she had a lot of control. But now she enters and she sees this boy whom she thought she destroyed the mind of David is on the throne. I mean, that doesn't make you just want to shout. That doesn't make you want to say, God, what? I don't know what's going to. She hurried to the Lord's temple to see what was going on. When she arrived, she saw the newly crowned king standing in the place of authority by the pillar. And was, as was the custom at times, at times of coronation. The commanders and trumpeters were surrounding him, and the people from all over the land was rejoicing and blowing trumpets. When Ophelia saw all of this, she tore her clothes in despair and shouted, Treason! Treason! Well, listen here, you wicked, vile woman. You did the same thing seven years ago. But now all of a sudden, oh, it's done to me. It's bad. What, she, what you don't see what you did was bad? You killed all those kids? You went against the God of Israel and you instituted Baal worship in the southern region? You can't make sense of wickedness, you all. She's hollering treason. Let me find out where I was. <laughs> what? Oh, yes, thank you. Then Jodiah the priest ordered the commanders who were in charge of the troops Take her to the soldiers in front of the temple and kill anyone who tries to rescue her. For the priest had said, she must not be killed in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her and led her out the gate where horses entered the palace grounds and she was killed there. Then Jehodiah made a covenant between the Lord and the king. Here's that renewal. And the people that they would be the Lord's people. 
you highlight that? Would you circle that? From the beginning to the end, God will have a people who belong to him. They will be his people. He will be their God. It's being reinstituted. There's a revival coming. There's a renewal taking place. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went over <coughs> went over <coughs> to the temple of Baal and tore it down. Again, this is the one in the southern region. The northern region has already been dealt with. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols to pieces, and they killed Maton, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Jehodiah, the priest, stationed guards at the temple of the Lord. Then the commanders... The Karaite mercenaries, the palace guards, and all the people of the land escorted the king from the temple of the Lord. They went through the gate of the guards and into the palace and took the king, I'm sorry, and the king took his seat on the royal throne. So all the people of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was peaceful because Athelia had been killed at the king's palace. Joash was seven years old when he became king. Notice when evil is dismissed, peace comes. Peace comes. So we go into chapter 12, and what I want to point out to chapter 12 to you is Joash then began to rule Judah, and he wanted the temple to be repaired. And you can see all that. What I want you to get to... Let me see... I want to do all of, of 12 because it's talking about the temple being built. But that's really the first, first five verses. So Joash began to rule over Judah in the seventh year of King Jehu's reign in Israel. He regained, I'm sorry, he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother was Zibeth from Beersheba. And all of his life, Joash did what was pleasing to the Lord. Listen to that. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight because of Jehodiah, the priest, instructed him. Yet even so, this is where my heart just goes, man. Yet even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrines. And the people still offered sacrifices and burnt incense there. Remember those things I keep talking to us about? Those things that... We know we ought not to be doing, but we just keep doing because it's what's normal to us. It's just who we are, who we are but we're not supposed to be. I mean, you tore down Baal's temple. You had a renewal with God. Your co- the covenant with God and His people were restored yet again, and yet they refused to deal with the little things that ultimately would trip them up and lead them into captivity. At the end of chapter 12, Joash's reign ends. He's actually, um, Joash's verse 20, Joash's officers plotted against him and assassinated him at Beth Milo on the road to Selah. And yet his life ends. Another king down. Go to Acts. Acts chapter 18. Not long. Just 1 through 22. The church is expanding, you all. The church, unlike Israel, 
is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're under a new covenant now. We're not under the old covenant. The old covenant wasn't done away with. The old covenant was fulfilled. And the Bible clearly tells us we need to learn of the old so that we understand the new. That we understand what we ought not to be doing. We can't be a fickle people. We have to be a people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit because that's what the Bible says takes place in the heart of a believer. So the church is expanding amidst a lot of, of, of persecution. Paul is out and about. All the others are out and about proclaiming the gospel, teaching. So chapter 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born to Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Gentiles alike. And after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, but then they opposed and insulted him. Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the house of Titus Justice, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Cripus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. Did you hear that? That's God talking to Paul in a vision. All these other cities were beating Paul, stoning him, I mean, leaving him for dead, chasing him out. They were out to kill him. But now he's in Corinth. Unless you forget what you've learned, and hopefully you've learned, of Corinth, this city. This is where the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are written to through the church in this city. This is a vile city. It is so sexually perverse. The, 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 the temples that were there, the, the, the prostitution that was going on, just the craziness that was happening in this city. It was wicked. It was vile. And yet God sent Paul there to establish a community of believers. Of people who would look at their old ways, see that they are sinners, repent, freely receive the Holy Spirit, and begin to live a life now. And it was turning the city upside down. But God had a plan. And look how awesome our God is. He says, for many people in this city belong to me. Even before they came to him, God knows. And that's as, as I said earlier, remember, who chose you? God chose you. You didn't choose God. God chose you. God chose you. He purposed you. He fashioned you. He knows you intimately. The Bible says he's prepared good works for you to do. For his kingdom. So he's like, Paul, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. But when Gallio became governor of Acacia, 
some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. The crowd then grabbed Societies, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Galileo paid no attention. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centuria. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, making the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to a synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing. Then he set sail for Ephesus. The next stop was the port of Caesarea. From there he went up and visited the church at Jerusalem, and then went back to Antioch. You say, what's all that about? Why we had to read that today? Because you ought to be encouraged. The church is growing. Jesus has delivered them. He has filled them with the Holy Spirit. They are now empowered to go out to do the will of the Father, as we should be. They're living bold lives. Their lives were forever changed. Do not forget, Paul was a murderer. He was murdering Christians before he came to Christ. He was a very religious man. And now, now he has a desire to see people equipped to see the church grow. I mean, man, you, you can't make this up. This is God, you all. This is God working and bringing about his plan and his purposes for his creation. Ultimately, in the end, he will have a people that belong to him. Amen. He will be their God and they will be his people. Psalm 144, 145 is where we're heading. We're wrapping up. Psalm 45, I hope and encourage you to look up. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you some days when I feel like it. No, that's not what it says. It says, I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. When's the last time you told the upcoming generation of the mighty acts of God? That is what's wrong with this generation and the generations coming up. They don't know God. They don't hear anyone testifying of his mighty acts. And when they do hear, they got the majority of people around them Mocking and laughing and carrying on. But listen, that's not going to thwart God's plan. God will raise up and renew a covenant with the next generation that's coming up. God will always have a people in each generation that will love Him because He chose them. But that doesn't stop us from telling. We ought to be telling. You ought to know your God. 
so that you can let generation, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your all-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry. God, we have to hear this. And filled with unfailing love. Do you know your God? Like the psalmist knows his God. This is King David. We, we, we conjure up all these ideals of God, and yet we don't even know Him. Would we know Him like this, I pray? The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of His creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will... Speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all that he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. This is our God, you all. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him who hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all, who, all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord. And may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Oh, that you would know your God, you all. Amen. And if not, get, to, get, get together. Let's get together so you can get discipled. Proverbs 18, verse 1. One nugget of wisdom I'm going to throw at you. Unfriendly people care only about themselves. Ah, they lash out at common sense. And aren't we seeing that today? Let us close in worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.